From the nation's capital to the Sunshine State. It's compelling. The high plains of Kansas and the northeast corner of the land of enchantment. It's Monday. The land of EWTN all across the Lone Star State. It's GRN Alive. Bringing you faith, fun, and facts. Live from the studios of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Join us on the show. Call 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to GRN Alive Monday edition. Praise be to Jesus. I'm your host, Joe McLean, on Mondays. Dave Palmer hosts the Friday show. I host the Monday show. And uh, good news, bad news. Uh, the good news is I'm actually not in the studio today. Uh, I've got feet up and relaxing from uh, recovering from a share which was incredible. Praise be to Jesus. Thank you for your generosity, by the way. Um, Dave Magianis and I had a great time on air, and uh, we enjoy taking your phone calls. All of the Guadalupe Radio Network really is blessed in uh, so many ways to to reach out to you and to ask you for, for your financial support. And so thank you for responding to that. But today we've got a great show uh, lined up for you today. I say that all the time, I think, but t- I really mean it this time. Today we're talking about Father's Lives Matter. I know, it sounds rough, doesn't it? <clears throat> so political, so divisive. It's not, though. Trust me when I tell you th- this is an important conversation. Father's Lives Matters. The lives of fathers in our in our lives, they can have a huge impact. I know from personal experience, I made a movie, a documentary film called The Other Side of Fear, Facing the Father Wound. And um, it's, it's a difficult process to face our father wounds, whether they are personal or they are on a national or even an international scale. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We have a guest, Father Joe Paddock. He is a priest from Montana and he ministers uh, not only to the local Catholics in his, uh, in his, at his parish, but also to the, to the Native Americans on the Blackfeet Reservation. And he is going to talk to us about, uh, how the lack of having a father in his home affected his life or how the lack, uh, and the father wounds that he has seen in the lives of the Native Americans whom he ministers to. We're going to discuss that as we look at the headlines as well. Uh, Tim Mott is off today. David Magianis is off today. Adrian Fonseca is off today. Teresa Kamara is off today. So uh, sit back and relax. We're going to have a great show. Let's start with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come. Before thee I stand sinful and sorrowful. O mother of the word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. St. Vetus, pray for us. Do you know, St. Vetus, have you ever heard of St. Vetus? Talk about the father wounds. Talk about how fathers have the power to make or break the lives of their family and society at large. St. Vetus was born in the second century. His father was a, uh, a senator from, uh, from Sicily. His father was a pagan. And the young boy, Vetus, was converted to Christianity uh, through the uh, the teaching from uh, St. Uh, Modestus, which was his tutor, and St. Crescentia, who was his nurse. Both Christians sort of taught him the faith and led him into the church, and he converted. 
Well, Tad did not like that. I mean, he was a senator, a pagan, which was required in the Roman Curia. So what did Dad do to his loving son, to his little boy, to his, his own flesh and blood? He had him arrested and scourged. You think that would have taught him a lesson? It didn't. St. Vitus never, never recanted his faith because it's true. Well, he fled to Rome uh, in hopes of you know finding refuge there. But, uh, by the way, he was freed from prison by angels, miraculously. So praise be to Jesus for that. But in Rome, he found himself in a unique position to play a vital role in the life of the emperor Diocletian. Now, Diocletian, as you may remember from your studies, uh, you know, he persecuted the church rig- vigorously. He, he, he laid down a heavy hand upon Christians all across the empire. Well, St. Vetus had a, an important role to play in his life. He found himself in a situation where he could help Diocletian's son be freed from demonic possession. It was a miracle, they said. It was incredible. Let's celebrate, they said. What did they do? They asked St. Vetus to celebrate by offering a sacrifice to pagan gods. And when he refused, because Christ is the way, the truth, and the life... They condemned him. After beating him and torturing him, they condemned him to die by being eaten by lions. Well, the lions refused to eat him. So what did they do? They took St. Vetus along with his uh, his companions, and then they threw them in boiling water. Boiling oil, rather. Boiling oil. And at the moment that they were dying, storms rose up and destroyed pagan temples in the region. And it was because of that tradition, uh, many people have sought the protection, the intercession of St. Vetus for protections against stormy weather. St. Vetus, pray for us. The power of the Father to make or break us, make or break our families, it's, it's, it seems almost unfair for, for God the Father to put such power into the hands of mortal men, and yet he does. And yet he does. In our own lives, again, I made this film called The Other Side of Fear Facing the Father Wound. You can watch it. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. You can access it right now at livinghislife.net. I encourage you to check it out. Uh, Deacon Harold Burke Service participated in it. Uh, Doug Barry participated in it. I and others were involved in the project. So check it out, livinghislife.net. But, you know, I was just checking out a video on PragerU, Prager University, by Larry Elder, a radio host and, a, and an Afri- African-American, talking about the fatherhood within the black community. He quoted Tupac Shakur, who was gunned down back in 1996. He says, quote, I know for a fact, uh, Tupac saying this, I know for a fact that had I had a father, I'd have some discipline. I'd have more confidence. Unquote. Larry said he wanted all the things that a father would give a boy, structure and protection. Tupac goes on to say, quote, your mother cannot calm you down the way a man can. You need a man to teach you how to be a man, unquote. That's true. 
I think of my own family, my own marriage, my own relationship. My wife and I, neither one of us, had marriage modeled to us as kids. We both come from very broken homes. And so here we are, my wife and I, married 20 years this year with uh, six children and a grandchild, and we're trying to fake it. What does it mean to be happily, lovingly, sacrificially, sacramentally married to each other? Well, all we have is the intellectual knowledge of reading and, and looking at what other people are doing, but it wasn't modeled, it wasn't taught to us as children. We're hoping against uh, the grace of God to help us to stay married until death, to model this marriage to our children so that they will have a fighting chance. And yet, and yet, according to President Obama, uh, in the black community and in community at large, children who have no father in the home are five times more likely to live in poverty-stricken communities and uh, commit crimes at higher rates. In fact, they're nine times more likely to drop out of school if they have no father in the home. They are 20 times more likely to end up in prison if they have no father in the home. Of course, uh, Larry Elder quoted the Journal of Research for Adolescents that if there's no father in the home, they are the most likely people to end up in prison. There's a great article in Crisis Magazine talking about the the issues that we are seeing played out in front of us today, this defund the police uh, movement all across our country. Michael Warren Davis is the one who wrote this article. He talks about how officers are resigning in droves all across this country. What we saw in Minneapolis of a police officer with his knee on the neck of a, of a man, a man of color, was horrendous. But I would have said the same thing if that man were white or Asian or Hispanic. It was horrendous. And thankfully, thankfully that officer was arrested and is facing murder trial. That's justice. And yet we're seeing, we're seeing the headlines and just chaos. It's more than peaceful protesting. It's more than a call for justice. It's chaos and it's not good. In this article, it goes on to talk about some of the difficulties that we are facing here. And it really is a crisis of the fatherhood. In this crisis article, and I'll link to it uh, on our Facebook feed for the video, it says, quote, According to the Sun-Times, there were 492 homicides in Chicago last year, and only three of them involved police. And these are homicides involving people of color, black men or women. A third of black children live in a situation where they do not have, or actually it's just under half, live in a situation where they do not have uh, both parents in the home. And yet, even though 13% of our population consists of black Americans, they account for more than half of murders and robberies in our country. That is a symptom of a great crisis. What is our obligation? Do black lives matter? Yes. They, it's, yes. They are children of the most high God. Their lives are precious in the sight of God. Of course. But if we're not willing to talk the truth about the injustices of the destruction of family, if we're not willing to do something about the destruction of family, then how are we serving these people? That's the question I think we need to be thinking about. The crisis of fatherhood. The crisis of fatherhood in our lives and in our communities. To love one another is to lay down one's life for a friend. Well, we are seeing Americans who are in desperate need of true and authentic sacrificial love. 
whether it's in the black communities or the Native American communities, which we will be talking with Father Joe Paddock from the uh, Diocese of Helena, Montana, about his life, his own life with his father, and his work in the uh, Blackfeet Reservation and among Native American peoples. This is what I want us to be thinking about today. Check out the Crisis Magazine article. I think it's enlightening. There's many other stories in the news I would love to get to, but I won't be able to get to those today. Uh, maybe next week we could pick them up. Uh, there's big trouble, uh, obviously, in the church in Germany. They're trying to consolidate from 800-some-odd parishes down to 35. The Vatican had to step in. That, that's a deep crisis, a symptom of a big problem there. We should be praying on our knees, fasting and praying. Think of Our Lady of Fatima. This is what she called us to, to fasting, to prayer, to acts of reparation, to stem the tide of chastisement in the world, to turn this thing around. Our Lady is asking us to pray. Let's do that today. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Father Joe Paddock from Helena, Montana, to talk about the father wound his journey to the priesthood, and much, much more. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to GRN Alive. Now is a great time to call 877-757-9424. I don't know why I turned on my radio because I've kept my radio off for years, you know, because there's so much trash. And once I turned it on, I was absolutely hooked. I actually was gone from the Catholic Church for 35 years. I want to get to heaven. I don't know if I will. I mean, I worry about it. But I not only want to get to heaven at the moment of my death, I want to find as much heaven as possible here on earth. I love the shows with the Catholic apologists. I love the shows with the sort of day-to-day psychologist, Greg and Lisa Popchek. I love hearing not just of other people's problems who call in, but I love getting the Catholic take on how to deal with day-to-day reality. If your purpose in life is to find God, not just here, but after you die, then living out that purpose is going to color absolutely everything you do. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. While listening to your favorite Guadalupe Radio Network radio station, have you ever stopped to say to yourself, Oh, if I could only hear that again! Well, the good news is you can. Just log on to grnonline.com. We have links to podcast versions of our programming. Again, grnonline.com. Make sure to enable the location service when you're prompted. It will deliver your local station information, plus connect you to all the network stuff as well. grnonline.com. You can turn your unused vehicle into a tax-deductible donation to the Guadalupe Radio Network. It's a lot simpler than you might think, too. Just call 1-866-628-2277 or come by grnonline.com and click Donate Now. One of our representatives will gladly walk you through the process, even arrange pickup. Later model cars or trucks are greatly appreciated. Just call 1-866-628-2277 or come by grnonline.com and click Donate Now. Joining us on GRN Alive Monday edition is Father Joe Paddock. He is a priest 
in the Diocese of Helena in Montana, one of the most beautiful places on planet Earth. Praise be to Jesus Christ. He is a fairly young priest, and uh, he has an interesting ministry. He not only ministers as a parochial vicar at a parish, but he also helps at uh, an Indian reservation, the Blackfeet Indian Reservation in northern Montana, and it's a delight to have him on the program today. Uh, Good afternoon, Father, or good morning, because this is going to air on at 8 a.m. So good morning, Father Paddock. Yes, good morning. It's a delight to be here. Thanks for having me, Joe. You know, Father, uh, we connected uh, by the grace of God uh, through uh, a little effort I was involved in at Virtual Catholic Men's Conference where I was able to give a little talk but share a passion project of mine about um, a documentary film that I produced called The Other Side of Fear, which deals with the father wound. And it's one of these things that I think if a lot of people are honest that they, they struggle with, the father wound. We all tend to have some kind of wound, but it's when we don't discuss them, we don't, you know, we keep them repressed that they tend to do mo- the most damage. And, I, and when I look at the headlines today and I see all of the turmoil, the chaos, I can't help but see the connection back to the father wound from various communities all over our country. And I was interested because when I read a little bit about your background, I could see that even in your life there seems to be something there related to a bit of a father wound, a journey, a searching, uh, not having really known your father. And I would like to start with that, if you could. Tell us Tell us, how did you grow up, and eventually, how did you get to the priesthood? Sure, sure. I'll I'll try to be uh, relatively brief. If, uh, feel free to cut me off if I get a little too sure. wordy. Um, but, yes, I, so I grew up in southwest Montana, um, which is four hours away from here, um, but still still the western part of the state, um, still the same diocese. Um, and I, I did. I grew up in a single parent household. My mother raised my sister and I um, in a in a low income situation. And my father and my mother they were in the process of splitting up before I was even born. Um, and then when I was sick, actually the day I was born, uh, my mom was doing divorce court actually. Wow. <laughs> um, and then six months later, the the divorce was was finalized. I'm so sorry. And, I don't know exactly, I never pressed the issue as to exactly what happened, but it was obvious. Just uh, looking at, uh, you know, any time my father would come, uh, he and my mother, you know, whatever went down was very bitter. Mm. Um, and my mother has has since passed away. My father's still alive, but um, all the way up until the end, my mom was still um, uh uh, there, there's just a lot of friction there, and so whatever yeah. happened it probably influenced me in the womb. You know, there's, I'm sure there was some fighting and some yelling and maybe some striking. I don't know, but um, it was difficult because during our childhood, you know, my father then moved at least a few hours away, and then he ended up all the way out in South Dakota. Oh wow! Um, and so we never really, we being my sister and I, never really got to know him. Uh, he did come sometimes, other times he didn't come. Um, so we, we saw him sparingly at best. Um, and it didn't really register at the time. I mean, a lot of this stuff didn't even really register until I got to seminary, and I'm, and I'm learning more about it as I learn more about fatherhood and <laughs> see the lack in other people's lives. I realize, whoa, there's there's still uh, stuff in me. But So I grew up um, with my mom. She's, I, I come from an Irish Catholic family, so I'm... Um, so, you know, I'm a cradle Catholic and always went to Mass, and my mom became increasingly devout throughout my life, and so she really hammered it into us. 
um, that we had to go to Mass, and she would quiz my sister and I. There were two <laughs> parishes in town. And when we were little kids and old enough to go to Mass on ourselves, we'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, we went down to St. Pete's because my mom went to the other one. She'd say, okay, well, who was the priest? Who preached? What was the homily? Or, or what, what was the gospel? <laughs> Ouch, you got to pay so, attention. <laughs> yeah, but if we didn't go, if we were lying to her, when we went and played or something, then we were totally busted. And so, totally busted. Um, <laughs> so anyway, it, it just I always went to Mass. Um even though I veered pretty far. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I veered pretty far from the norm. I still always well, went to Mass. Let me interrupt you real quick and uh, ask you a question. So uh, not really knowing your father, did you have any uh, positive role models, uh, uncles, grandfathers, any men in your life that uh, you know sort of acted as the father for you? Yes. Uh, thankfully, I did. My mother has two brothers, Joe and Terry, and then her father, um, Scotty. Francis is his name, but everybody called him Scotty. And really, it was it was Grandpa Scotty that was probably the key. Well, uh, my sister and I were always over at our grandparents' house, and I my grandpa really loved the outdoors, and he was retired by the time I came along. Nice. Um, and he went out all the time. He went out fishing, and he liked to do gold panning. I mean, he never struck it rich. It was more of a <laughs> hobby. But, um, a lot of times he would pan, and I would fish, or we'd go hiking, and um, wow. and it was just awesome. So I, I was really close with him, but also. Um, with his two sons, they, of course, they were working at the time, and so my mm. um, interactions with them were, were more limited. But from my smallest memories, even before I can remember, I can see pictures where the uncles would take us out um, ice fishing. There's funny pictures of my sister and I sitting on the back of the car screaming because it was freezing cold. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they would take us out, and so it really got inculcated, this um love of nature and so i did have some positive role models but even so like i was kind of alluding to earlier as i'm reflecting on this there was still a big father wound it's not the mm. same um, even though i don't know what it's like to, to have a father in the home because i never had it but i know it's not the same because as i'm reflecting i just think about you know my mom i was i mentioned i'm from an irish catholic family she's one of these or she was one of these kind of little tiny petite irish women um and I'm not trying to say she was weak. Don't get me wrong. She had a lot of sure. a lot of fire, but yeah. she was just one of these little tiny uh, petite women. And so, um, and we lived in this low-income housing uh, project, and um, there was just, there was a lot of drugs and violence and um, alcohol. Not in our home, but you could hear in the community. Us all the yeah. Time. Oh yeah, you could hear guys beating the tar out of their kids and their. I mean, yeah. it was, and so, and there was a lot of fear, and there was a fair amount of bullying, and you know, what is my mom going to do? She would come out sometimes, but it got worse. You know, when your mom comes and tries to save you, then the next time the kids see you, then they're yeah. really going to get you, uh, and they're going to make sure they do it when your mom's not, or that kind of stuff. And so I just grew up kind of. Uh, um, I wasn't like the big, strong, powerful man that I think that men aspire to be or that you think society tells you to be right i mean that's part of the challenge here that's part of the wound uh, at least in my own life is you grow up and you look around and you think i got to be like everybody else and then you you just you just try to figure out okay what does everybody else think we ought to be like let me try to act like that pretend to be that and then i'll be accepted then i'll be loved although your inner voice the whole time is saying nope mm -mm, this ain't right you just sort of learn to ignore that inner voice and you just try to go along to get along, but that tends to get us in a lot of trouble. And I think that's true for you too, right? When you got off to college, uh, what was life like for you for you in those days? Oh, I well, I started to get into trouble even before college. <laughs> you didn't um, wait yeah, that started, long. I, no, I didn't. I, I uh, well, there's always been this thing, and it's even there now to some degree. Even though I know it's not good enough, 
Mm. Not good enough because you know we didn't have the newest clothes. You know when you go to school the first day, all these most kids have brand new shoes, and we just couldn't yeah. afford it. I, I mean, what was it? It wasn't like we went to school in tatters. I'm I was the same way. It. Yeah, oh. Goodwill was our our name brand store. That's that's where yeah. we got a lot yeah. of stuff. Yeah, and so when hand me downs from our older cousins and everything, and and um, and so you know there was this, there was kind of a stigma associated with oh they live at Mount Hagen Homes was the name of the place where we lived. And, mm. um, so mm. there was always kind of this not good enough thing in in the back of my head. And like I said, I even catch myself today. And when they assigned me to come to this Blackfeet Reservation, which we'll get to, the first thing that popped in my head, I'm not cut out for that, which is just another version of not good enough. Yeah. Um, um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so I did start to veer off. Um, I really liked sports, and I was pretty good. I mean, I'm not, I would have never been a professional athlete or anything, but it got to a point where things were political. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there were... There's like an east and west side of our town, and the people on the west tended to be the ones that had the money and the means. And we got to a certain point, like in about junior high, when it was all their dads were the coaches, and so it didn't really matter how good you were. <laughs> you know, if you weren't from the west side of the town, you basically didn't get to play. Oh wow! So that played into this kind of not good enough thing for me. Mm. And so I started hanging around with some different uh, characters, with kind of a rough crowd. Um, and yeah, we started. Um, I think probably in my freshman year in high school is when we started drinking uh, on a pretty regular basis. Yeah. Drinking and then smoking, and there was marijuana usage. Um, and I always got my schoolwork done first. I was I was committed. I knew that was going to be the way. I, I could see that God gave me a gift I loved to, to study and to go to school, which is really weird. Everybody thought I was, <laughs> I thought, nobody else likes to do that, but I did. Yeah. Um, and so I realized if I'm going to get out of this situation, i got to commit to that. So I did, and then I would mm-hmm. go and we would uh, party hard. It wasn't just a beer or two here. I mean, it was um, party pretty hard through high school. And uh, I continued to excel in academics, but I did get in, in a fair amount of trouble. Uh, um, a, a lot, uh, you know, some of my friends dropped out of high school, didn't tend to do very well. Um, and I ended up being the valedictorian. It was really <laughs> ironic um, <laughs> disparities uh, there. But so I went to college, yeah, and, and the and the whole this partying thing continued. Mm. Uh, but I but the study hard, so study hard and party hard. That was, you must have really uh, and, and, freaked your friends out to have, you know, you could party all night and still get the grades. That must have just really disturbed them. <laughs> they probably couldn't oh, understand yeah. how that would be possible. No, the irony is thick. Yeah, the <laughs> irony is very thick. Um, but it's true. That's that was the kind of the lifestyle I lived, and and I didn't know. I, I know now, but all this partying and all this kind of kind of it's a way of acting out. Yeah. Um, but it, during this it, during it, these it, years of uh, you know partying and sort of searching and going along with the crowd and all of that stuff, where, how did the Catholic faith play a role in your life? Were you going to mass at the time? Yes, I never stopped going to mass. Um, I, I would go to mass every Sunday. Um, I actually got confirmed my freshman year in high school. I dropped out of the um, the preparatory program in, in high school just because I was the only one kind of uh, in my, um, I was going to say social class, but it, most mm. of the kids were from that west end of the town I was telling you. All of them basically were in that mode, and I was I really stuck out, and I just really didn't enjoy being around them. Not that, I mean, some of them were nice people and everything, but um, I was just not comfortable. And so I, I assured my, my family was horrified, of course. And I, cause mm. every, cause when I was young, everybody went to Mass and the whole family. And my, and my mother's side of the family, her mother and her father were both one of ten. 
Oh, wow. And this is in a town of 10,000 people. So you're related to half the town. I mean, you know a lot of people. And so, <laughs> and everybody always went to Mass. That's not the case anymore. But um, And so when I announced that I wasn't going to get confirmed in high school, I, but I assured him, I said, I promise you, I guarantee that I'll get confirmed once I get to college. And so I did. Um, and I and I kept going. Um, I didn't really have a good appreciation for uh sin uh, uh state of grace and especially not mortal sin mm. i honestly didn't until much later so i was receiving the eucharist and i was going to mass i wouldn't go to mass if i was you know if i was still loaded from the night before but i tried to um i tried to um, stop at a reasonable hour on saturday that was yeah. on saturday mm. night so that i'd be able to go to mass um so i'm still going to mass but um and i would feel good when I went to Mass, but it, there wasn't a, a relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. But I kept going, just because my mom, even even later in my adult years, my mom would still ask me if I went to Mass, and she was encouraging me and mailing me, um, you know, holy cards and that kind of stuff, and just really uh, yeah. being an encouraging mm-hmm. voice. And that was a huge, huge factor, I realize, in retrospect. So the Lord's still working in me, and, and I'm still kind of unwittingly giving a response you know it's almost like a yeah. mummy you know mm-hmm. i go to church because i just because i'm supposed to my mom told me to and i kind of and i feel good when i go there we are um, uh we're talking with father joe paddock he is a priest in the diocese of helena in um, montana one of the, as i said before one of the most beautiful places on planet earth uh we're talking about his life his journey towards the priesthood and his work on the blackfeet reservation but it's also the real theme of our conversation is about the crisis of of fatherhood and the ramifications of that in society, which I think when you read the headline news, you can see very explicitly. Um, and, you know, it, you were just saying a minute ago how you're, you sort of felt like you had to keep going. There was some sort of Catholic guilt at play there, but did, wouldn't you agree, Father, that even at that base, base, base level, there's still some value to that? You know, there's the old proverb, raise them and when they get old, they will return back to their roots, right? So, you know, there's a, there's still a great value as parents whose children may be going astray to constantly encourage them, constantly invite them, constantly try to be a lifeline to them to, to bring them back to the faith because you just never know how that Holy Spirit might bring them back and, uh, and, and liven the faith in them at some point. And all of your efforts, all of that work, all of that sort of base Catholic guilt may actually play a role in the journey. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I, undoubtedly. Yeah. Undoubtedly. I, yeah, I think there is a certain healthy amount. I mean, we need to know right from wrong, right? And if you don't have that kind of ingrained in you then you're you're relativistic just like uh the society that we have today and so yeah even though we didn't in my immediate family we didn't have that father figure um to be that leader to be that shepherd my mom did a you know pretty darn good job actually because yeah i mean at times i I know my sister and i would talk about it and they're like mom you're just going way overboard you're being so preachy (laughs) but a few years after that especially once i once I got to Notre Dame, and then about that part of my life, I was really thanking her because now the Catholic faith is coming alive, and I kept all the stuff that she sent me in a shoebox. I still have it, actually. Wow! And I started um, praying the Rosary again, and I learned the Divine Mercy Chaplain, and she gave me Holy Salt and all these kinds of things, and I started using them. And so I started to say, "Well, you know, thanks, Mom. <laughs> thanks for being persistent here, because I don't know where I would have been." Yeah, maybe. So maybe at that time of your life, you weren't totally appreciative of everything she was doing but now you look back and you're like wow i'm so glad she did oh absolutely absolutely now how did you so how did you get to starting the point to discern the holy priesthood 
Well, it was um, God was planting seeds way before I even knew what was going on. Um, I actively, once the light bulb went off that God might want me to consider being a priest, that's when I got to Reno. I was living down in Reno, Nevada, mm. um, and I was in a wonderful, well, I was actually living in Sparks, which is East Reno, um, and I was in an excellent parish, um, really good friends with the pastor, um, Father Norm. He was a great influence on me. But I'd never talked to anybody about the priesthood before, and I never even seriously considered it. I mean, I had a couple inklings here and there throughout mm-hmm. life, but not like a lot of the guys when you get to seminary, they're like, yeah, when I was four years old, I, I was playing mass. There was none of that stuff <laughs> going on in my life at all. I mean, it wasn't even on the radar. Um, although my mom did remind me of a couple things. Um, I did. When I was younger, actually, sometimes I would try to gather some of the kids in, in our little housing project because we could actually see the church. It was right across the train tracks from where we lived. Oh, wow. And sometimes we would go over there, and I think I was trying to use, like, the church bulletin or something to kind of lead a little worship service. So I, nice. I guess I was, in a way, kind of trying to do that, but I but <laughs> the thought in my mind was never priesthood. It was kind of like I want to be close to Jesus because when I yeah. was really young like that, I was excited about Jesus. Um, but then, yeah, once we get to Reno, and so at this point – um, let's see, this was 20, I think 2009. Is I was down there from 2009 to 2011. Mm. Uh, and it was about 2010. It was about the summer of 2010. So it's about 10 years ago, actually, mm. um, when things really started to click. Um, but by this time, I'm, uh, you know, cleaning up my act. I'm going to confession regularly uh, once I get down to Sparks. I was going on some frequency before I got there, but now I'm going regularly. I think every month. Um and uh, I'm an extraordinary minister of the Eucharist. I'm a lector. I'm on the finance council. Um, there was a youth group, not in our parish, but in the Reno area, all the different parishes. There were like five or six of them. I was involved with that. Um, going to adoration every week, and there was a Bible study that Father Norm had. And so I'm pretty well connected with the parish now. I knew the Lord was calling me to, to grow into my faith. I, there was, I mean, I was aware of that, but mm. I didn't know what the heck he had going on. I was thinking that um, July, it was July of 2019, I finally made a decision. That I was working for Amazon.com at the time, and I had a lot of really great friends, young people. We had a lot of fun. We partied, and then, but they also loved the outdoors like me, and, and Tahoe was right there um, outside of Reno. And <laughs> Dang, so we'd go dangerous place for young people. <laughs> well, it was uh, beautiful. Uh, just wonderful. It is. We had, we had so much fun together. Um, but... There's this other side of the Lord really immersing me, and I had a lot of friends in the parish too. It's, this is the first place that I really had a, a lot of friends in the in the parish, um, and so I decided that um, you know I don't think the Lord wants me to work because you know 60 hours a week was kind of the norm um, with with Amazon, and you know wow. it only goes up from there. And so I wasn't able to spend as much time in my faith. The Lord obviously wants me to invest more time here. I don't know exactly what that means, but I also want to spend more time in the outdoors because I'm focusing on being coming a lot healthier at this point, too, with my body. Mm. Um, and so I had decided in July of that year that, okay, I think in the spring of next year, I'm going to leave Amazon, and I'm, I don't know exactly what this means. I don't know where the Lord's going to take me. I was thinking maybe I'll go down to South America or something and volunteer at some Catholic missions, because I like to travel, and I hadn't been to Central or South America. Um, so I, I kind of made that decision. Um, and then my mom comes down in August of 2010, and um, by this time she's really devout daily mass or leading rosary rallies, you know, very uh, wow. pro-life. I mean, but she's, she's a hardcore Catholic in the, in the best of senses. Um, 
and she comes down, and of course she wants to meet the priest. She always wants to meet the priest. Um, mm-hmm. we, we went to daily mass. I think that's the first time I ever went to daily mass, honestly. Um, and uh, we talked to Father Norm afterwards, and he made this comment as we were leaving to her. We were walking out the door, and he said, you know, maybe you can make a priest out of him. And I thought, what is he talking about? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Um, and I think my mom probably thought it was ridiculous, too. <laughs> we just kind of shrugged our shoulders. Because I I'd, I'd never talked to him. I'd, again, I didn't have this this idea of priesthood in my mind. Well, over the next, um, I think, about six or seven weeks, in my parish there, Immaculate Conception in Sparks, it happened probably five or six times. People just started coming up to me and saying, hey, you know, have you ever thought about the priesthood? Just all of a sudden. Yeah, just out of nowhere. They wow. say, hey, you'd make a good priest. And so I thought, this is this is even weirder. What you know? What is this? And then I, 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 I rationalized it. I thought, well, they see this single guy. He's spending a lot of time at the church. Mm. The church needs a lot of priests. Okay, it's it's not me. It's just they'd say this to any Tom, Dick, and Harry, right? <laughs> um, that was doing the same kind of things. Uh, but then, so my my mom, you know, she was only there for a few days, and she goes back to Montana. And then people in Montana start saying the same kind of things. People that she's friends with, but I don't. I maybe met them, but they don't know enough about me. Yeah. Um, my my character to be making these kinds of things. And then I thought, you know, there's probably something real here. And then to put the icing on the cake, Father Norm made another comment. I was just by myself, but it was Sunday Mass. I was leaving. And I don't remember exactly what he said this time. It was something about the priesthood. And I went, I, I, so I, was, I, I probably nodded my head, and then I walked out the front door, and I, I went around to the side door. I kind of came in where I didn't think he was going to see me, and there were some, like some pamphlets in the vestibule that I'd conveniently ignored on priesthood. And I grabbed them that day, and I went home, and uh, I just opened them up, and I was overwhelmed with peace and joy. Just like, wow. you know, the Divine Mercy Chapel, you talk about oceans of mercy. It was like yeah. oceans of peace and joy. It was, it was literally like I was just being pounded by these waves, beautiful, holy waves. And, I, and the, the, there were some websites, and I went to these websites. They were kind of like aptitude mm. things where you mm. had to answer it. You had to answer it honestly. I could have gamed it to say, oh, I don't have a vocation. But I, I was honest, and they all came back. Very strong, like you have some telltale signs of a, of a location. <laughs> <laughs> and so at this point, I honestly thought that I might be having a midlife crisis because it was, I didn't even think I was eligible for were, the priesthood. Were you midlife? <laughs> you no, know, I was only in my early 30s. Well, then it's but, not a midlife crisis. Most well, people, kind of Father, most people for their midlives, they buy Harleys. Okay, they don't join the seminary. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> so. But I had this thing in my head again. I think it's part of this not good enough thing, but it's also yeah. like I've yeah. I've committed a lot of sins and you know some pretty serious ones, and yeah. I didn't even think I was eligible for the priesthood. I was ignorant at the time. I didn't know about Saint Augustine. I didn't know about sure. Saint Paul. I didn't know about some of these guys that yeah. were some of the worst sinners became beautiful, wonderful priests and some of the best saints. And so I, I honestly, um, I talked to one of my priest friends back here in Montana. That he's one of the first guys that I called, Father Murray, mm. to tell him what was going on. And I actually put the question to him, you know, do you think I need to see a psychiatrist or do I need to keep going? <laughs> and he said, no, 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 you've got some telltale signs. And so yeah. from there, I just, I remember praying to the Lord, this doesn't make any sense to me. It seems totally ridiculous, Lord, but i got to follow this peace and joy. Mm. And I'm still following it to this day. Amen. Uh, Praise be to Jesus. 
Yeah. We're talking with Father Joe Paddock. He is a priest in the Diocese of St. Helena in Montana. Uh, we've been talking about his, his journey to the priesthood, but really an underlying theme here is the crisis of fatherhood. And, you know, it's a topic that, that I have personally talked about many times here on this program, a crisis of fatherhood in the Catholic faith, uh, among the scandals repeatedly. That's a theme that we're seeing repeatedly there. And we're seeing it in society in general. Um, you know, with the, uh, the, the protests and the looting and the, and the violence and just the crazy things that happen in society. And in many ways, they link back to a crisis of fatherhood. And you know, what's fascinating about this conversation, Father Joe, is when we think about the priesthood, we, we call our priest father. And, uh, you know, I remember having debates with non-Catholics about why we call our priest father when Matthew 23 says, call no man father. And when you dive deep into that passage in Matthew chapter 23, what you really see is our Lord and Savior criticizing the fault of the Pharisees to not embrace their fatherhood properly, which is to lead people to God the Father. And, and at, at, that's at the heart of the mission of our priesthood, is to lead, not only to intercede on behalf, on our behalf of the faithful and to make that sacrifice for us at Holy Mass, but to lead the faithful to the Father. And, uh, and that's a, such a strong and an incredible mission. And once you've gone through the process, Father, did you, on the other side of it, did you look back and go, Wow, how, how, was there a longing, was there like a, a joy, a happiness, a sort of an exquisite feeling about being one in this ministry with Christ our Lord and this uh, bringing people to the fatherhood? What was that experience like? You know, you mentioned it before, not really understanding it, and then after, what was it like? Was there a difference in your, your perspective, your outlook of the, of the role of fatherhood in the priesthood? Oh yeah, it's a complete sea change. Um, I didn't, you know, before I wasn't even aware of my lack of fatherhood. I'm just kind of, you know, kind of moving along as the world tells me I'm supposed to be. Just kind of mm-hmm. go with the flow, you know, do whatever. Um, but now that I realize this massive lack that you've clearly highlighted a couple times here and also elsewhere in your in your movie and um, and your talks, um, now it's a passion of mine. I'm trying to uh, start up uh, men's ministries. That's why I'm so interested in men's conferences. That's why I ended up, you know, that, connecting with you on the virtual conference. Yeah. Um, and that's a big reason why we're talking now is because um, you get it and I get it now. And I realized, you know, I talked about Father Norm down there in, in Nevada. That was the first time I really had a strong spiritual father. Um, the men in my mother's life, the, the faith that we had in our family, everybody went to Mass, but we didn't really talk about faith at all outside of Mass. Um, and so there was, on a physical level, the, my, the, there were men stepping in to fill that gap, but on the, phys, on the spiritual level, not as much. But Father Norm was unabashedly Catholic, encouraging us to discern vocations, Catholic radio, on Catholic radio. He was really adamant about listening to Catholic radio. Amen. Um, all these kind of just enriching us, like, you got to immerse yourself in the faith. Yeah. It was, wow. Um, I realized in retrospect that it's that spiritual fatherhood. That's a big thing that attracted me. And so now I have a passion for, for sharing that and for inculcating that. Um, and there's just such a huge, um, darth of fatherhood that, yeah, I'm, I'm fired up about it and I want to do everything I can to, um, to, uh, step into the breach as, uh, Bishop Olmsted, his famous yeah. document. Great document. Um, Great document. Oh, yeah, superb. And I want to make a little transition now into your work on uh, the Blackfeet Indian Reservation. And I want to say this: as a priest, uh, you have what a what an incredible opportunity that you have 
to minister to people who are struggling with a father wound. They may not even understand that that's part of their struggle, but in reality, there's so many segments of our of our society, our world, that really does suffer from father wounds, and they just don't really know. They haven't connected the dots, and or they've not spoken honestly about the ills in our society. And uh, and I want to say that the uh, the Indians, uh, Native American peoples on Indian reservations, they do have these underlying struggles, much like other segments of our society. So I want to transition into your work there. Uh, tell us first, tell us about the Blackfeet Indian Reservation. Tell us about the people. Who, uh, what are these people like? How do they live today? Well, the the black it's it's important to remember that the Blackfeet and a lot of the at least the, once you get into the northern plains, I know farther east, kind of out in the the areas where you are, it's, this isn't necessarily the case. But you go back, you know, 100, 150 years, and and the people here were still, you know, living in teepees and 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 having buffalo hunts and 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 whatnot, and so they're in the process of massive. Uh, culture culture shock i guess you'd say you know wow. they've uh, got the local culture here but then also wow there's this you know there's we're sending people to the moon and we have all this technology and um just a massive change that for um our most of our ancestors for the caucasian people um this process took like a thousand years in europe to go from hunter gatherers to community dwellers there was a lot of um time to to go through it the cultural change whereas I mean, these people drinking from a fire hose is, is an understatement. I think mm. um, so. Really, really stretched big time between these two worlds. It's I think it's pretty brutal um, from from what I can see and from what I've learned and uh, reading and talking to people. Uh, it's rough, and so that is that's one of the reasons uh, why there's you know a certain number of struggles where, um, of course the the natives want to preserve their culture. They don't want to be deprived of that. We see yeah. that with other, you know, with the Hispanics coming in. You know, with the we have a lot of Asian people immigrating and people from the Middle East. Of course, they want to, um, even to a, to a certain degree, us Irish people want to, you know, cling to our traditions. Although we're um, a lot farther into this, uh, I guess, American immersion, you'd you'd, you'd say than uh, this some other cultures. But so there's a beautiful, vibrant culture um, that. The people are trying to reconcile. Okay, how do we express our culture in this, you know, in this crazy new world that's so different from what our ancestors? I mean, you know, the, just like we do, just like I think all people do. We look back. I talked about my grandfather, how he was a big influence. Well, mm. some of the grandfathers that these are talking that some the people here they can remember their grandfathers might have been great chiefs or very influential medicine men or, um, and so just a few generations ago. The, the, uh, these very rich, beautiful traditions. Also, the Blackfeet, um, were a, a very feared tribe. They were very powerful and very influential yeah. in this area. Not too many people wanted to mess with the Blackfeet. Especially so, on the Oregon um, Trail for the settlers heading west. <laughs> they did not enjoy <laughs> the their Trail. encounters with the Blackfeet. <laughs> no. And Lewis and Clark somehow, they had a little skirmish with the Blackfeet. Yeah. I don't, I, it's amazing how they didn't, uh, how they got, they, I don't think they lost any man or anything. You know, it's a fascinating crazy. topic, the Lewis and Clark story. I, one, you know, it's, on one hand, you can look at their success and look, you know, they traveled, they met people they never met before, and they came back with their, their scalps intact. 
Uh, they did have they did have a run in on I think on two occasions on their journey going once going out and once coming back and they they end up killing a Native American person in uh, in one of those skirmishes. But on the other hand, um, th- one of the ways in which they you know were able to pull it off is they participated in some of the pagan rituals that they encountered. They lived uh, as the tribe would live while they were visiting with them. And, and as Christians, that's very deeply troubling, actually. Uh, in fact, I can't remember if it was Lewis or Clark, but one of the two committed suicide at the end of their life. Uh, so, you know, it's fascinating conversation to be thinking about. Uh, and I wonder, going back to the Blackfeet here in particular, is uh, what is their life like today? Uh, we've had other guests on the program talking about uh, work on the Native American reservations up in uh, South Dakota. And a lot of poverty, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of depression in on those reservations. What is it like for the Blackfeet in Montana? Well, I think we, you know, we struggle from the from the from the same things as well. And these aren't just they're not just on the on the reservations. I mean, they're societal. Um sometimes they seems like they might be a little bit amplified on the reservations uh, in terms of the um maybe more concentrated poverty, but I think you see similar things in like inner city neighborhoods. Yeah. Um you see them uh, you know, you got the migrant camps with a lot of the Hispanic workers and whatnot. Um but even in the suburbs of you know the uh, the white picket fences, I mean, you see a lot of depression. You see, and it stems back to father wounds. It stems yeah. to some yeah. of the same things we're talking about. But for the Blackfeet, particularly, um, again, you've got this beautiful culture and a very spiritual people. Mm. The 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 Blackfeet uh, ancestral religion and Catholic religion. A lot of uh, the Catholicism is actually fairly uh, widespread here, uh, and I haven't studied this, but I've been told a lot more so than on other reservations, because the ancestral religion is seen as a uh, as being fulfilled by Christianity. There's Amazing. a lot of links that people can make straight across, and so a deeply spiritual people, mm. but also uh, ones that they're, they're open to the Catholic faith. It, it it makes sense as kind of a um, a natural, and maybe we'd say a supernatural progression. Um, so you have that going on, a, a very uh, spiritual people. But then, yes, on the physical, emotional level, there's just uh, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of broken families. There there uh, there is a lot of uh, problems with substance abuse. Um, there's uh, yes, like you mentioned, we, we've got the poverty, and poverty tends to amplify a lot of the issues that are common in our in, in society today. Is is what I'm just as a casual observer. Mm. Um, uh, see see that going on and so it's tough for for a lot of our people they want to they want to stay here this is their land you know this is their the ancestor land and so um you might say oh well yeah you can go you can go somewhere and you can get education you can do this and you can do that but there's just such a strong tie to the families and to the land i think much more so um than you see in in our broader society where people are scattered all throughout the world nowadays. I mean, even when I was young, people were, most of my family lived in that little town of Anaconda, Montana, whereas nowadays, I mean, we're all spread all over the U.S. and all over the world. Yeah. Well, um, the the Blackfeet are much uh, more communal, much more familial. Um, They they want to stay here. They want to be here. Even even amidst uh, the struggles that they have, they really, they love it here. They want to be here. Mm. They don't want to be elsewhere. And so a lot of uh, things that our society might encourage them to do take them off the reservation. So that's another tension. There's just a lot of tensions that are really stretching the people. Mm. And 
in in some cases, what that translates into is how do you deal with this tension? I don't know. You might medicate. You might you know you might do you know you might turn to um, things other than the Lord. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that's one of the key reasons why uh, people get into trouble with um, with substance abuse and there's um, and and just all these different uh, kind of negative factors that we're talking about. We're talking with Father Joe Paddock. We have just a few minutes left in our conversation. He is a priest of the Diocese of Helena and Montana. We've been talking about his journey. We've been talking about his work on the uh, Blackfeet Reservation or among the Blackfeet Native American people. Uh, but we're talking about father wound and how it uh, correlates to some of the ills in society. And I think you brought up a great point, Father. And maybe we can end on this point here. Um, you know, we tend to self-medicate. And, you know, what's interesting is humans are humans no matter where they're found on planet Earth. I know that sounds like a, a not Captain Obvious statement. But what I mean by this is whether you're a Native American person on a reservation or you're an immigrant to this country or you live in some remote village in Africa or South America or Europe or what doesn't matter, really, we, we tend to, uh, we tend to forget that we are, we are human, made in the image and likeness of God. And we all tend to have the same mistakes, right? And we may speak different tongues. We may dance a little different and have different customs, but ultimately we tend uh, to self-medicate to deal with our problems. And a lot of times, especially the father wound, we tend to ignore it or forget about it or, or, or just push it down deep so that we don't even deal with it. We just ignore it and pretend like it doesn't exist. And then we find these problems boiling up in our life, these bad choices that we make, and then we, we self-medicate, whether it's overeating or you name it. There's tons of ways to self-medicate. And uh, I, I guess I'm bringing this point up to say Native American peoples are no different than the rest of us. And I think the answer to this is the same for all human beings on planet Earth. It's the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And maybe you can end with that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think... Uh as you know, the problems that we have as a nation, the problems that we have in the state of Montana, down in Houston, the problems that we have here on the reservation, anything is possible with God. It may seem like they're insurmountable. You might look at the numbers. You might say, oh, geez, what are we going to do, you know? Um, is the apocalypse coming tomorrow? I don't know whether it is or not, but what I do know <laughs> Bring it, is, is what Jesus I say. Christ, it's, yeah, Jesus Christ wants to dwell within us. He wants us all to flourish. And so there's a lot of reasons for hope. Like I mentioned, the, the people are, uh, by and large, very open to, to the Lord, uh, very open to growing closer to him. Um, it's just a matter of how do we place Jesus in, right in the midst. He wants to come right smack dab in the middle of the of the pain and suffering that we have. Mm. And uh, w- another thing that we tend to do, you're talking about kind of these universal tendencies, is the Satan gets in there and he starts to get this, I'm not worthy, or I, I can't go to the Lord. I gotta clean up yeah. my act for, he, you know, he gets this thing kind of in the back of our head and we've got it here too. Um, so I can't, I, even if I want to go to church, I can't show up in there. There's, you know, you hear people say, well, the building will fall in, you know, that kind of <laughs> statement. The holy but, water but will boil if I touch it. Yeah. Right, and that's exactly the opposite. That's the, the, the more wounded you are, the more you need to be that's, running to the that's church. That's right. You know, Christ doesn't wait until we get better. We can't get better until yeah. we come to Him. And so, helping people just to realize that, even mm. in their woundedness, going out, finding ways um, to evangelize, it's kind of tough because um, there's some people, you know, with the poverty situation, some people don't have the internet. Um, so, so, how do we find different ways? We're also very um, sparse on. You know, we got a pretty large geographical area that we're trying to cover, and mm. and we only have a few small towns, and there's a lot of people just live out in the just there's a lot of rural living where people just live out on ranches or live out in the country, and 
So how do we reach those people? How do we get this message of hope to them? How do we help them understand that our Father in heaven wants to heal these wounds? Because a lot of the people came from broken families, just like me. And and, And broken families tend to be the mother or the grandmother. It usually doesn't tend to be the father or the grandfather takes up the slack, right? It's usually Mm. on the female side. And so, yeah, there's big time uh, kind of father wounds. And then the fathers that have been sucked into these um, uh, down spirals of of abuse and and, and whatnot, how do we get that message of hope to them? Yeah. Uh, That's the key. But the the hope is there and Jesus is there. And so there's just so much potential. It, it, it is so exciting. I, I see people when I'm walking out here, you know, some of our street people just having conversations with them. There's an openness. Mm. Uh, we just have to find a way to welcome them in. And so yeah. that's the key. That's the question for me is how can we do that? And it's not that the church hasn't tried to do that. The Curcio movement was a big, a very big thing here that drew a lot of people into church. And sure. um, how do we, what, what's the next phase look like? I think that's kind of what I'm thinking about and praying about yeah. Uh, yeah. too. To All right. Savior to the people. Well, we've been speaking with Father Joe Paddock. He is a priest of the Diocese of Helena in in Montana, and it's been a great conversation, Father. Thank you for being on with us. Thank you for sharing a bit of your journey, your life, and your work with us. It's been such a blessing. Would you leave us with your priestly blessing, please? Absolutely, absolutely. Let us pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you give us. We thank you for going to the cross for us and raising uh, and, and uh, rising from the dead, giving us this grace and placing yourself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right here in our hearts. We ask you to bless us, strengthen us. Thank you for this time. Give us the grace and the strength to go out and spread the good news in Houston, on Browning, the Blackfeet Reservation, and wherever else you may want to take us. And we ask and pray all this through Jesus Christ, your Son and our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Praise be to Jesus. Father Joe Paddock, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Thanks for hanging out today on GRN Alive Monday edition. Don't forget, Dave Palmer hosts the Friday show every Friday, 8 a.m. Every Monday I'm on, every Friday he's on. And I would like you to not only just tune in, but help to spread the word about the Guadalupe Radio Network. Don't forget to check out the brand new website, grnonline.com. It geolocates to your area. It gives you all of the local information, your local radio station, your events, your contact, all of it. Check it out at grnonline.com or anywhere on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. Check us out at grnonline.com. Make sure your friends and your family members know about Catholic Radio right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. May God richly bless you. We're praying for you. We'll hope you pray for us. And don't forget, check out livingislife.net. I think that's going to be something that will inspire you and you can share today. May God richly bless you. Thank you for listening to GRN Alive. From the studios of the Guadalupe Radio Network. For more faith, fun, and facts, join our email list. Just text the letters GRN to the number 42828. That's GRN to the number 42828. And take Jesus wherever you go this week. Hi, this is Mike Kilbasa. Our family's been making sausage a slow-crafted way for three generations. 
My grandfather, Rufus Kielbasa, founded our family business in 1949 and created a culture of enriching the lives of others that continues today. We would love to help you with your next parish festival or fundraiser. For more information, you can contact us at donations at kielbasa.com. Kielbasa Family Sausage, we're passionate about helping others. Blessed be God. Blessed be His holy name. Blessed be Jesus Christ, true God and true man. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be His most sacred heart. Blessed be His most precious blood. Blessed be Jesus in the most holy sacrament of the altar. Blessed be the Holy Spirit of Paraclete. Blessed be the Great Mother of God, Mary Most Holy. Blessed be her holy and immaculate conception. Blessed be her glorious assumption. Blessed be the name of Mary, Virgin and Mother. Blessed be St. Joseph, her most chaste spouse. Blessed be God in his angels and in his saints.